What's up, you guys? I'm Anya. And I'm Kylie. And this is Two Degrees Hotter, the postgrad podcast where we get real about life after college every Tuesday. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Two Degrees Hotter. Today, I am not joined by Anya. I am by myself for this uh, weekend review and favorites, and that is because in our main segment, I will be joined by Avery Bishop. So, Avery is a I'm going to say famous TikToker. TikToker. She has over 75,000 followers, I think over 80,000 at this point, followers on TikTok. And she produces a lot of content on there about going to law school, preparing for law school as a pre-law student. She talks a lot about legal issues and injustices and inequalities in the legal field. And it's just a very positive space for anyone interested in either going to law school or just learning more about our legal system here in the U.S. So as most of you guys know, I am planning to start law school two weeks from when this is recording, but when you guys hear this episode, I will be a full-fledged law student. So yeah, so I'm really excited to talk to her a little bit about her first year of law school. She's starting her second year this coming fall, and so I'm sure she has a lot of advice and wisdom to share with all of us who are starting this year or who are still in college um, planning to go to law school about what it's really like to be a first year law student. But first, let's get into our segments. This week, like I said, we're recording in advance, so this will have happened a few weeks back because I know we posted about it on our Instagram, but this past weekend, Anya and I had a little weekend getaway at her boyfriend's lake house. Um, He was very nice to invite me up to hang out with them. I like the third wheel with Anya and her boyfriend all the time. The three of us have a great time together. Uh, We get along really great, so I was like, heck yeah, lake house, let's do it. But yeah, I personally just really needed some time away just to reset and recharge. I know I am still, for the most part, uh, staying home, only really going out when it's absolutely necessary because we are still in the middle of a pandemic and we do need to be mindful of where we go and how our actions could affect the spread of COVID. So spending a lot of time in my room and in my house, it's starting to feel very small. So it was nice to be able to get away with the two of them in a safe uh, environment and just reset. Like I said, I was feeling so trapped physically, obviously, but also it leads to being trapped mentally and just feeling like you need like a reset button somewhere. And so being able to like step away physically from my environment helped me step away mentally from my environment. Yeah, I just remembered (laughs) we took, um, they have a boat and we took it out on the lake. And I remember we were swimming and it was kind of like golden hour And I probably looked like an idiot because I had a life jacket on so that I could just like lay and float. But I imagine the life jacket was like eating my ears. So I looked just like a head in a life jacket. But that's besides the point because I was just kind of floating in the water, looking up at the sky as it was turning, you know, pink and orange and all those pretty sunset colors. And I just felt so lucky the whole time to be in a position where I had the opportunity to go away and unplug for a weekend and come back feeling refreshed because I'm very cognizant of the fact that not everyone has that. That was a really great getaway. Let's get into my favorites. My favorite this week is actually from our guest Avery. I got the suggestion from her. She was mentioning it in one of her recent YouTube videos 
and it is the app Zinnia, I believe is how it's pronounced. It's Z-I-N-N-I-A. Um, so what it is, it's an online planner. Essentially, it gives you like little journals and templates. So right now I have a temp, uh, sorry, a journal with a yearly template so that I can write down all of my due dates for law school and any events and things like that and kind of have like a year at a glance in front of me so that I know when midterms are coming up and all of that fun stuff. And then I have like a weekly template set up so that way I can, I'm a big to-do list person. That's the easiest way for me to organize myself. I like to make to-do lists every day. And then I keep like scheduled appointments through my Google calendar. And so this has been a really great way to create those to-do lists digitally and have, you know, obviously I have my notes for law school on my iPad, but then also having my planner on there as well and having everything in one space is really helpful for staying organized. Definitely check out Zinnia. It's a perfect way to like customize your planner because I know that's an issue I've had with paper planners is just never feeling like it was like perfect for me. Always wanting something to be different with it. This really allows you to personalize. So definitely check it out. All right, everyone. So I am very excited about our guest today because um, we have Avery Bishop here with us now. If you don't know her, you probably do because she probably showed up on your For You page on TikTok with some of her law school tips. I think general like productivity tips and, you know, legal uh, informative TikToks and whatnot. Um, I actually started following you on there because Anya, my co-host, sent me one of your, I think it was your one about applying to law school because I did an episode on here about applying. And she was like, oh, here's some helpful tips. Like if you have anything to elaborate on. And I was like, wait, there's a whole girl on TikTok applying <laughs> law school. This is perfect. But yeah. So do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little? Yeah, sure. So hi, guys. And thank you so much for having me on this podcast today. Um, my name is Avery. I am a second year law student at SMU in Dallas, Texas. And like Kylie said earlier, I do have a TikTok dedicated to this strange comedic and fun law school oriented videos, but it definitely has expanded to provide so much more than that. Uh, I, I make videos to motivate and inspire and to exchange ideas about maybe current issues as well. So that is what I'm up to right now. And then TikTok sort of led me down this avenue of providing a pre-law mentoring program where I matched pre-law students with lawyers and law students across the world. And this has definitely became so much larger than me, a single person, much larger than I anticipated. And I'm just extremely grateful. If you're coming from TikTok, if you're coming from Instagram, thank you for being a part of our community and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So Everything that you just said, we're going to get into into the episode. So I'm very excited about that. But basically, I want to break this episode down into three main segments. So first, we'll get um, a little bit more into your background, specifically with how um, you kind of ended up going to law school. Uh, then we'll talk a little bit about your social media presence, TikTok, Instagram. I know you just started a YouTube channel. So kind of delving into that. And then lastly, kind of for selfish reasons, because I do start law school in two weeks, <laughs> Um, I was thinking that we could examine some like law school expectations or like, I guess, stereotypes almost. And then you can kind of help us debunk them from someone who just went through their first year of law school. Yes, that sounds exciting. I'm here to debunk all the myths that you have. Definitely. Perfect. Getting into law school, these are pretty straightforward, relatively boring questions. But again, just kind of laying <laughs> the groundwork. So when did you decide that you wanted to go to law school? 
When I decided, so if there was a specific year I had to choose, it would be the presidential election of 2016. That year, I was entering my sophomore year of college. And, you know, despite where I may lie politically, I think everyone can agree that that year was very, very invigorating um, for men and women and women of color and just different communities. And so I felt very, very motivated to be a part of a movement to increase representation in politics. So 2016 happened and I thought to myself, you know, now is the time to really rise up and take on this huge challenge that had been presented to us and was on the forefront of all the news outlets, right? Where are the women in Congress? Where are the women of color in, in Senate? Where are they? Like, we need them. And so I was like, you know what? If not me, then who? So I went to law school that year. And um, that's definitely late in the game. Most people know they want to go to law school earlier on in college. Uh, but I'm glad I made that decision my sophomore year. Um, I had switched from being an acting major to undecided. I was in a very strange part of my life, didn't exactly know where I was going. All I knew is that I wanted to do something with a purpose. I wanted to help others. I wanted to be a guiding hand for my community that I came from. And so 2016 was the year that I decided to go to law school. Awesome. If it makes you feel any better, I also decided to go to law school my sophomore year. Oh, undergrad. Yeah, um, the same person. Then. <laughs> yeah. um, and I will say that I honestly think if the events of, you know, the 2016 election hadn't happened, I don't necessarily think I would be as passionate about I agree. law and pursuing oh, law school. Of course. And I definitely agree with what you just said. I don't think I would have uh, chosen to go to law school had it not been the 2016 presidential election. And yeah. I think a lot of women, especially in our, our generation around our age, are very, they've got a, you know, a fire lit under their booties. Like they're ready to go. They're ready to fire. And we're coming. We're, we're slowly coming. We're taking those steps towards making change. Yeah. And I like the mindset that you're in of it being a challenge of like, okay, this is our sign that we need to, we need to step up and we need yeah. to be the representation that we've been looking for. Um, so then I guess that kind of leads us into our next question, but what about the legal profession made you want to pursue it? Maybe even outside of that kind of fire that was lit under you. Yeah. So aside from, you know, wanting to increase diversity in our government, I also wanted, as I mentioned earlier, I initially started college as a musical theater slash acting major. All through my life, I was in performing arts, and it really shapes me into the person who, of who I am today, right? Uh, theater and choir and dancing taught me how to be empathetic, how to be vulnerable, how to perceive the world in different perspectives and from other viewpoints of others. And so had it not been for my arts education throughout middle school and high school, I would not be as well-versed as I am. I would not be as confident as I am. And the unfortunate reality, at least in my state, Texas, not everyone has that same opportunity for arts education. And a part of me, when I did commit to going to law school, also set aside a part of me that wants to protect access to arts education as well, right? I want to ensure that there are policies that allocate funding to arts programs, especially in very small rural towns of Texas. That was another reason. And then another reason, uh, aside from the presidential election, was 
the fact that there are only 3% of attorneys in the United States are Asian American. And I come from an Asian American community. My mom immigrated from the Philippines in the early 80s. And so I knew that there is a demand in my community for someone who can communicate with them directly about their legal issues. So those are the three main reasons I committed. Nice. Yeah, I really like your emphasis on the arts. Number one, um, our listeners know, and we actually have an episode coming out next week, so the episode will already be out because we're type A, we record ahead. Um, but me and Anya grew up dancers, so oh, we're really connected. Yeah, that's how we met. Oh, wow. So has a start in the arts. At least most people yeah. open when they've done dancing or acting or singing. Um, I think everyone is drawn to the arts in some particular way, and it's not always performing. Sometimes it's just writing, which is an yeah. art as well. And so I think it's it's very important to protect access to that. Yeah, for sure. And then on the flip side, like you were kind of alluding to, mm-hmm. I think anyone that isn't familiar with law school is like, acting majors becoming lawyers like what do you mean or theater majors becoming lawyers and it's like I've heard that they make the best litigators because nothing prepares you to speak in front of other people and have the confidence to speak in front of other people like performing (laughs) because I mean possible myth that um students who switch from a performing arts major or who did acting or dancing or singing won't turn out to be great lawyers but in the end They are the best equipped for the courtroom because they can speak on their toes. They're great extemporaneous speakers. And they know that when it comes to arguing in court, you're essentially putting on a costume. You're putting on your attorney attorney character. And when you walk into that courtroom, you're putting on a show. You're persuading them to agree with what you want them to agree. And that's literally the foundation of acting. Literally the foundation of acting. So... Exactly. So when people say that you can major in anything in undergrad and go to law school, they mean anything. Yeah, at all. (laughs) I agree. So yeah, do what you're passionate about those four years, then those three years will come and I can only assume that it's books, books, books. (laughs) So you did say that you go to SMU in Mm -hmm. Dallas, Texas. But uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you chose to go to that school. Sure. So I originally started off at Texas State University as an acting major, like I said earlier, and I didn't really feel, I was essentially burnt out. That was one of the primary reasons why I stepped away from the acting program. And so I decided to transfer to SMU my sophomore year specifically because one, I knew there was a pre-law program there and a law school would be easy to transition to. But the the other uh, the other factor is that my family and my parents are from Dallas and I wanted to be closer to them. I wouldn't say I was homesick, uh, but I definitely wanted to go back to my roots. And I also had intentions of running for office in Dallas specifically. So I knew that SMU would be the best university to network and build that foundation for the day that I decide to run a political campaign. That is why I transferred to SMU. Now, did I have the intentions to go straight into SMU law? Not not necessarily, but I knew that they had a great reputation for Dallas law firms, and it's a great way to funnel into those into that legal market in Dallas. Sure, awesome. So there's a little background on Avery and everything that led her here. 
So now we can transition a little bit into social media and how, I mean, I feel like law school content is just so niche. And because of that, there isn't a lot of it. Mm -mm. Um, And I know as a young woman, a first generation college student, so obviously first generation law, Mm -hmm. I, you know, really value when I find people in the digital space that are using a platform to inform about law school and tips and tricks because I had no idea. I was Googling absolutely everything (laughs) under the sun. Yeah. So um, it does seem like you gained um, a bit of a platform on TikTok first, which again, I think is so interesting because I feel like people think of TikTok as like dance videos and memes. Yes. I know that's what 90%. That's exactly what I thought before I got on it. So it definitely seems like you're one of the creators that like almost spearheaded that learn on TikTok mm-hmm. movement or trend, I guess. So what made you want to start making TikToks about law school and the yeah. legal profession? Well, what happened was, so quarantine hit, as many of us know and have, are still experiencing, but that first wave hit Texas in late February to the first week of March. And I was in the middle, full blown of spring semester law school, my second semester. And we transitioned to completely online after spring break. And that opened up a a little bit more um, free time for me. And I wanted to do something productive and, uh, but also to fill my time because I was bored sometimes, you know, in quarantine, it was self-isolated. I didn't leave my house. I needed some way to communicate with others, but without having to meet them in person. Mm -hmm. It hurt. Through the grapevine, that TikTok was the new guy on the street, you know, the new kid in school. And I had no intentions of this turning into what it is now. But I think that's how I, I gained so much, so many followers in such a short amount of time is because I really was on there to have fun, to help others. And I wasn't there because I wanted the clout quickly or because I wanted to lar- a, a large following. I knew that there was a demand, like you mentioned, such a niche, and there's not a lot of information. I'm a first-generation college student, too, and so from my experience, I was Googling, reading misinformation on Reddit threads, believing whatever people were saying about law school and stats and how to study for the LSAT, and I said, you know what? This is this is pretty dangerous for all this misinformation out there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I created my TikTok account in... March, I would say late March, and then I just started sharing my story. I started off as simple videos of talking about what it was like as a woman of color at a predominantly white law school, what the application process looked for me as a first generation student. I, you know, had to dig and claw for scholarships that were specifically for us but were hidden from us for some reason difficult to find. I talked about, I shared my story about having an Asian mother who was somewhat disappointed that I didn't go to medical school and how I, uh, how I handled that situation, how we overcame that as a family. And through this whole process, um, I gained so many followers and we built a community together to uplift one another. And I even have, I have students who are not even planning to go to law school. Like they're just there to watch the weird that I produce on TikTok. <laughs> I have so many pre-med students following me too. And I'm like, I really hope I convince you not to go to med school because that's not the intention. But yeah, that's how it all started. Started back in March during Corona. 
and it has just exploded ever since. And I'm just very grateful for everyone who has been so supportive. And I'm excited to keep in touch with everyone's journeys as they go through and navigate this very complicated law school process. Yeah, for sure. So then I know you said you started in quarantine. When did you notice your page really starting to grow? Was it gradual or did it? you kind of just wake up one day and you're like, oh, thousands of followers? What happened was I did a little bit of research because I'm very type A and I want to know how everything is done correctly. And I wanted to know what the algorithm was for TikTok. And for those of you who are listening and wanting to know if there really is a golden egg to being successful on TikTok, there really isn't a recipe that you can perfectly follow. But I read online that people who are successful on TikTok, one, have a niche, very specifically. And then number two, they use uh, hashtags that relate to that um, topic or whatever. But I really picked up uh, followers and realized that, uh, what's going on? You know, like that moment where I definitely got my hands full It was the one video that I posted where, gosh, it's going to be hard to describe. I'll try my best. But it was a 15-second video. And the first 10 seconds, it was just making fun of all of the things I've ever done in life. Like, all of my accomplishments, all of my successes, right? I was Miss Dallas. I got into very prestigious law schools. I can sing. I ran marathons. And at the end of that video... It's just me voicing what my mom said, and it ends with me turning the camera dramatically and zooming in, and I, it just says, it's not good enough for me. And I, that video went out the roof. I think it got like two and a half million views in two days. And oh I, my God. I, I was like, and the, the most fun part about that video was that I showed it to my mom. So she's like this very petite, tiny Asian woman. She's 4'11", and she's very tiny, but she's so intimidating, right? Like, she's she can be the scariest person on the face of the planet if she, if she wants to be. So I came up to my mom, and I said, Mom, look, you're famous. We're famous on TikTok, look. And she said, Avery, why aren't you studying? And I just thought it was so ironic. So ironic that she would say something like that when I started that TikTok video. But that was the time when I... I was convinced that I had something very um, exciting and unique and important in my hands. And with that came a responsibility. It came with a lot of students who had questions, questions I didn't even think of before. And that moment, I think I had gained, I was maybe at like the 15,000 follower mark uh, when that video went viral. And ever since, you know, it's just gained throughout the past three months. It's all about posting consistently, posting every day. And so here I am. Yeah. And I will say um, you speaking to posting with a very specific niche and hashtagging um, that you fit that bill perfectly. So it makes sense. And you even think of like an Addison Ray or a Charlie D'Amelio. We've talked about this before on the show. Um, you know, when you think about it, they blew up. They're posting dancing videos. Their videos mm-hmm. are in that niche. Um, so yeah, that makes total sense. And I'm taking notes on that. Pop for your podcast. I'm here for it. We will do duets. Yeah, we we do have a TikTok, but it's it's a work in progress for sure. We're not famous yet, but but we'll get there. With me on your side, I got the tips and tricks, honey. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect. I'll be in your DMs frequently. 
I know that obviously with TikTok, you've um, been very active on Instagram and then just started a YouTube channel as well, especially with everything going on. Is TikTok going to be banned? Is it not going to be banned? Who knows? So how do you plan to kind of transfer and grow the content that you've been creating on TikTok through those platforms as well? Sure. So uh, as you said, I started a YouTube channel and the YouTube world is so complicated and hard to navigate. I feel like I'm so unequipped with the editing skills that I need to post, but fortunately I have, again, done my research because I'm a, I am a, um, law student and I like knowing exactly what to expect and uh, from what I've read as long as you consistently post every week you can grow your followers and so the YouTube platform is going to essentially be just a longer uh, an extension of my TikTok content as a lot of you may know right the TikTok videos are only 15 to 60 seconds and mine average about 17.5 seconds and I get so many questions from students who want more right you can only fit so much in 15 seconds and that is what my YouTube platform is meant for I dive in deeper into specific questions that they may have content wise for example what is an, what is an example of a great resume? What not to do in a resume? What not to wear to a professional interview? Um, how to apply for the FAFSA, right? All of those topics deserve a much longer, deeper conversation because TikTok really only scrapes the surface of the things you really need to know to be successful for whatever graduate program you may be applying to, whether it be med school, simply graduate school, or law school. So that's what YouTube is going to provide. I also have a my own website, which is with the mentor, which essentially uh, is for the mentor program where I match pre-law students that were emailing me constantly. Uh, when tic- when my TikTok exploded, I was getting at least an average of 250 emails from students across the world per week. And I could not, for the life of me, I did not have the time or the, or the energy to reply to all those students who desperately needed help. But I wanted to ensure that they get the information they needed. So I created a newsletter and blog slash website to match students with lawyers or law students so that they can be pen pals via email. And that currently has about 3,000 subscribers and hopefully that grows as well, just in case, you know, that TikTok disappears overnight. Um, I hear that Microsoft is going to come in and save the day. Uh, I'm sure we will be updated on that. Uh, Who knows? Maybe by the time this podcast airs, Microsoft will have already purchased TikTok. Yeah. But that is what the website will be. And was there anything that... Oh, Instagram. Instagram really isn't... Instagram is a weird extension of me as a person. It's not really a pre-law thing. I made my Instagram back when I was a baby, when I was like maybe 13. So Instagram really just serves as a platform for me to post what I'm doing as Miss Dallas since um, TikTok is more so law school related and my YouTube's law school related. So if... You know, if you want to see a snapshot of what my life looks like normally, then Instagram is where it's at. But that's how those platforms are going to serve me as I move forward with my pre-law community. Awesome. So actually, you mentioning Miss Dallas is the perfect segue because I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. I think it's so cool that you are holding this title while also being 
in law school. Number one, because it kind of helps shatter those misconceptions of like pageant girls are like ditzy or and hopefully most people have evolved beyond those, but I'm sure there's some that haven't. So this is your wake up call. And I'm sure that holding that title, especially this year, has made your law school experience very unique because it's, you know, another responsibility on your plate. So can you talk a little bit about balancing holding that title while being a full-time law student and also having this growth on social media? Yeah, it was a lot, you know, I'm going to be honest. There were days where I woke up and wanted to just leave it all, you know, quit everything, sign out of all of my accounts, throw in the sash and crown and say, peace out. Because there was, there, it was a lot, especially at the beginning when I was still learning to maneuver through TikTok and manage my law school schedule on top of Miss Dallas appearances, but which were about two to three times a week during peak season. And for me, I think the greatest way that I managed my schedule, managed my expectations for others was learning to say no. There's so much power in saying no, right? I grew up as a people pleaser and I wanted to satisfy everyone's expectations 24-7. I was always disappointed in myself if I didn't satisfy people's expectations. And I think that really fed into this notion of having to be productive 24-7 all the time for others and always saying yes for those who asked me of a favor. And Miss Dallas law school and my TikTok community really taught me that it is okay to say no. You don't have to say yes to everything. And it gives you more control of your life, right? Knowing exactly what you are prioritizing. And I'm not saying no to everyone all the time. I'm saying no to things that I know I can't complete in a timely manner or that just don't simply fit my schedule at the moment. And I think that's how I've been able to manage such a demanding uh, schedule this past year and will continue to be very hectic next year since my Miss Dallas reign will go until 2021 since they pushed back the state competition. Um, so yeah, that's definitely how I was able to manage the stress and the expectations of all three things at once. Yeah, and I think that's really good advice and something that um, I've talked about on the show before because mm -hmm. I think my senior year of college this past year was a very formative year in learning that saying no is okay, especially because when you really think about it, when you bite off more than you can chew, say yes to everything, something's going to fall through the cracks because just as a, a human being, you can't load that much onto your plate. Um, and you're really doing a disservice to yourself and you're doing a disservice to the people involved in whatever is slipping through the cracks when you're not able to give it your all. So I think it's always better to be realistic and say, I'm so sorry, but like I can't fit this in or I couldn't complete this in a way that I would be proud of and in a way that would be helpful to you guys than trying to half-ass it basically. Right. So you talked a little bit about your website and the mentor program All Rise. So can you tell me a little bit more about that project and kind of how the idea was born? So it it came from my TikTok 
community, of course. So at the very beginning, probably around April or May, when I gained uh, an average of about maybe 25 to 30,000 followers, I started getting emails to my personal email because I had listed it in my bio. I wanted to be able to converse with my followers when they had questions. And I was able to keep up with those emails at the very beginning, right? It was like maybe 10, 15 emails from students across the world per week. But well, <laughs> a month later, I was at like 75,000 followers and getting 200 emails per week. And literally my inbox for Rose, it flowed oh, so many emails coming in at once. So I said to myself, how, how can I still provide these students with the guidance and the information that they need while not dying, right? Like while not being overwhelmed with all of this communication. And I thought to myself, what did I need as a kid? What would I have appreciated so much? And it would have been a mentor. I, as a woman of color, a first-generation student who chose to go to law school kind of late in the game, didn't have anyone to to ask my questions. And so I quickly went to work. I started texting lawyer friends, law school friends, asking them, hey, would you be interested in possibly being a part of a pre-law mentor program specifically geared towards students from marginalized communities? Because those are the communities that are desperately in need for guidance. And desperately, the world is in desperate need of their representation. We need them to be in this industry so that we can exchange and understand and learn their perspectives and their communities. And so my law school friends, the lawyers I spoke to, they were all on boat. So I had a list of law students and lawyers who were ready to take action, to be pen pals and communicate. And one week I sat down and I created the Google form. It was like a basic thing you signed up on. And unfortunately, because I only had about 40 to 50 lawyers and law students signed up, I wanted to cap the first mentoring program to only about 100 students so that I can really gauge if this was worth the time and investment. And if it became something larger, I could partner with my university, partner maybe with the ABA, the bar associations, and really get this um, up and running. And lo and behold, when I opened up the form, over 3,000 students signed up. And I was like, well, <laughs> there's my so There's definitely a need for this program. And it hurt my heart when I had to cut it off, when I had to, you know, stop it at the first 100 students. But fortunately, my, my lawyer friends and law school friends said they could take on a little bit, a few more mentees. So we increased the first phase to 200 pre-law students. And we have had in, immense positive uh, reactions to the program. The students who are in them, who have met their mentors, text me, they email me, they're like, oh my gosh, Avery, this is the most amazing thing ever. Like, thank you so much. And it really brings joy to, to me and the people who are involved to know that we are a positive force in their life and in their journey, right? And I think the greatest part about the mentoring program isn't about um, simply finding a mentor in someone, but really finding a friend and someone they can relate to on a very uh, social, personal level, right? Because when it comes to mentor programs, you're not, you can kind of pick and choose who you want to be mentored by, 
Um, but with this one, I specifically went through their biographies and matched them with specific individuals who shared the same life experiences. And it has been an incred incredible project so far, and we will definitely be expanding by the end of this school year, or the end of this semester, excuse me, in December. Hopefully by then we will have more lawyers and more law students across the country and across the world who then can hopefully allow more pre-law students to be matched. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, I think you're exactly right. Mentors and um, mentor relationships are so important, and I really don't know where I would have been without the mentors that I had in undergrad. It definitely wouldn't be law school. I can tell you that much. Give me a year and I'll reach out to be a yes. mentor as long as the year goes well. You would be an incredible mentor, definitely. So kind of alluding to, you know, you're very vocal, at, rightfully so, on social media about injustices, particularly in the legal field, um, especially relating to race, gender. I remember you posted a TikTok not too long ago where like 38% of attorneys are women. And I'm like, how is that number not higher? And then it only gets smaller when you look at women of color and there's such a desperate need for that representation like we've talked about. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, why you feel it's so important to shed this light on these inequalities and make sure that people know that they exist? There are so many gatekeeping mechanisms for certain communities to get a foot through the door in industries such as the legal profession and even the medical profession as well. Uh, I think the medical profession is a little bit more diverse than the legal industry right now, but I could be wrong. I'm not sure. But for some odd reason, the legal industry continues to be such an undiverse industry, despite, um, you know, progress towards ensuring we scout enough people of color for law schools and at law firms. And what I think it is, is that a lot of us from marginalized communities, even women, we are considered a minority in the industry. I think a lot of us are scared. I think we're scared to be in an environment where we were never supposed to be in, that we were historically barred from that we weren't allowed to be a part of. And when this door opened, when the floodgates opened for us to finally step foot, there was so much systemic oppression that occurred, um, so many challenges that we had to overcome because of the historical oppression that we experienced. And when I make videos that bring to light those statistics, it's not meant to point fingers. Right? It's not meant to say, you're the one who caused all of these challenges. You're the one who's gatekeeping. You're the one who is uh, keeping us from you know, going to law school because the tuition is so expensive. It's meant to highlight and show and encourage others to not feel afraid to be the first individuals from their community to forge that path. Someone has to do it. Someone has to take that first step. And I'm a part of the Asian American female community where we are still trying to dig our way through all these gatekeeping mechanisms. And we're nowhere near where we should be. We are nowhere near it. And it's an unfortunate reality, but many of us are taking on that burden to ensure that others who come after us don't have to be afraid, don't have to worry or stress about those challenges anymore. And it's just something that you have to accept, uh, highlight, point out, and then motivate others to understand as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think that anyone who's exposed to 
these inequalities and how much work there really is to do, it, it, it does light a fire in you. That's the best way to put it. And it should make you mad, but in the way that pushes you forward and says, if not me, who? Exactly. And forging those paths, like you said. So I think that your your whole outlook on this is just really inspiring, especially for me as a woman, as a first-generation college student. So yeah, I really appreciate that content for sure. Yeah, of course. It's all meant for you guys. <laughs> so now we're moving into the segment that I am very excited about. I've been excited about all of these, but this is my selfish segment. So I start law school in two weeks, and I'm sure some of our listeners are also at least interested in law school, um, if they're not going already, mm-hmm. at least I hope. And so yeah, I'm terrified. I have no idea what I'm getting myself up into. So I I did look up a few like common ones to make sure that I wasn't just speaking for my own like personal like bias and expectation of law school. So I have five kind of expectations that I have for particularly this first year of law school but just law school in general mm-hmm. and I was hoping that you can debunk some of them or prove some of them and just kind of give your input yeah so the first one is that you won't have a social or personal life in law school because all you do is study myth absolute myth crash that write it on fire and leave it in the garbage can those <laughs> people who tell you that you don't have a social life are the ones who probably never left their apartment and thought that they were not capable of managing a busy schedule. No, your first year of law school, at least for me, you're going to get different, um, you're going to get different opinions. You are going to have a social life. Law schools actually actively host what is called bar review and it does it's not a study group although it sounds like it bar review is something where your law school is going to rent out an entire bar in the city that you go to school and your entire law school goes to it to let off steam and to drink and to network and connect so yes you will have a social life unless you don't want one you know, I mean, if you actively want to study all the time, if all you care about is your grade, then sure, why not? And I'm not going to lie, studying in law school is a job. It is hard. It is challenging. But you have to find that balance. Otherwise, you're going to drown. You're going to drown and you're not going to be able to swim to the surface. The way that I approached my first year of law school to maintain a good balance of social life and studying was treating it like a job. From 8 in the morning, I arrived on campus, I stayed for lecture, in between classes, I studied and read and stayed on campus till 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. Didn't matter how many lectures I had per day, I showed up, I sat on campus, and I studied through breaks and whatnot, and I treated it like a job. Because why not? That's what you're going to be doing when you graduate. And when you can do that, when you can treat it like a job Monday through Friday, you will then open up the evenings to time for yourself. If you want to read a fantasy novel, if you want to watch Netflix, if you want to sit down and have a dinner, if you want to go for a run or exercise, you'll have time. And then on the weekends, Friday, Saturdays were social nights for law school. Students went out. We went to bars. And on Sundays, we hit the books, 8 to 5 again. So you do not need to worry. Again, light that fire, light that myth on fire and put it in a trash can because it is a myth. It is wrong. Uh, But it's up to you. It's all on you to uh, prioritize your, your, your social life and your study, uh, your study schedule. Based on my own research and just talking to people who have been through law school, 
you hit it right on the head. Like, it really is what you make of it. If you want to study all day long, yeah. go ahead. But, like, you'll probably go crazy by mid-October. And that's definitely not my plan <laughs> to go crazy by mid-October or to drown by mid-October. So, yeah, I really like, actually, I was doing some orientation work. We've gotten, like, pre-modules because our orientation is online. And yeah. they described it as, you know, if you look at your day and you spend eight hours working on law school between lectures and studying, eight hours sleeping, that leaves eight hours in your day that you should take for yourself. And I was like, wait a second. Yeah, exactly. But you got to be on top of it. And luckily, like you said, you're type A, you you like to know exactly your schedule, you write things down, you're, you work in advance. So I think that that kind of personality, you're going to do very well your first year, because those are the, the personalities that will thrive in that sort of environment. I will say, though, I don't know how COVID's going to uh, affect things like bar reviews. <laughs> My Friday, Saturday nights, nights might look like movie nights, but that'll do. <laughs> That'll be fun. You can get together with your study group and yeah, a smaller get together, but you know, the, the spirit is still there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the second one that I have is that your first year and especially your first semester law school grades are the most important of your law school career. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, that is true. Actually, it's not really unfortunate. I mean, um, it kind of sucks because if you don't know already, law school is graded on a curve for those of you who are listening. And unlike medical school, where most of their courses are only pass-fail, uh, law school creates an extremely competitive environment. And that's another thing that I won't get into that I have a very harsh criticism for is the I, this notion that we have to put people, we have to find a way to separate the wolves from the pack. We need to separate the very good and intelligent people from the rest of, of the bot, of the population. But the thing is, is that all of our, all of our grades will be graded to a B average normally. And so most first year law students will only see straight Bs on their transcript. But honestly, that's better than being at the bottom of your class, if you know what I'm talking about. So... Uh, yes, your grades are extremely important because that determines whether or not you can interview for certain jobs and law firms in your next, uh, your second year of law school. So I would say it's more so your entire first year of law school, not just your first semester. Uh, first semester, if you don't do well your first semester, do not worry. You can always work your second semester to average it out to get a better grade. A lot of people, including me, I'm going to be honest, had a look at a rough academic first semester where I didn't land where I wanted to be. And it was difficult because my entire life, I defined my success with my GPA, my grades, and that should never be the case. But law school exacerbates this notion that you have to be top 10%, otherwise you are nothing. You will not be successful outside of law school. And that is not the case. That's not the case. Um, but yes, your first year grades are important, but not important enough to sacrifice your mental health, right? Don't go into your first year under the impression that I have to be top 10% by the end of my first year. And if not, I suck. I am the worst person on the planet. I'm never going to get a job. Don't don't fall into that trap. 
that's how the system works. That's how it plays you. And that's how it works against people from our communities, against first-generation students, against people of color, against the LGBTQ communities, underrepresented communities often experience not a great first year of law school and are weeded out and don't make top 10%. And to this, I say, there are people who don't even go to college who become extremely successful. So I don't think your grades determine your capacity to achieve your dreams, to be where you are meant to be. That's very encouraging to hear. So the next one, you kind of started to allude to this, so I hope I'm not opening up a can of worms. Oh, my next, I'm not my next expectation is law school is very competitive. Yes, it is. No matter where you go. Well, actually, T14 schools are more competitive, at least from what I've heard and from the schools that I have toured. Yes, it is because of the curve. But you have the choice to not let it get to you. You have the choice to be the light in the darkness to share your notes with people who couldn't make it to class, to invite others to study with you. There are people who want to hone and keep all of their information to themselves, who don't want to share, who don't want to uh, help you and answer your questions. But from at least my experience at my law school, the people I surrounded myself with, the people I actively sought out, were people who are positive, optimistic, who wanted to make the legal industry better and to dismantle this representation of the legal industry being highly competitive individuals who are only in it for money. So it's your choice if you want to let the competitive, um, this competitive stress and pressure get to you. It's your choice. Don't let it, don't let it seep in. Don't let it seep in. Sure. And it almost sounds like it almost works as like a a blessing in disguise because it helps you weed out, like you said, the people that are just in it for themselves, in it for the money. Because mm-hmm. I, I mean, speaking for myself, I'm going to assume this is a, a common <laughs> opinion. You know, you don't want to surround yourself with people like that, especially at such a high pressure point being in law school. Like you really need all the support that you can get. So yeah, I feel like it acts kind of as a blessing in surprise and is what you make of it. So my next one is that there is a huge learning curve when becoming a law student. It depends on your major. So this kind of lends itself to this notion of, yeah, you can major in whatever you are passionate about. But when it comes to law school and the courses that you take your first year, they definitely challenge and change the way that you think. And it's it's a painful growth, right? You know that you're growing. You know it's going to become something uh, that is going to be positive and impact your life in ways that you can't even begin to perceive. But there's growing pains. You have to learn the ropes, how it's done, how to write a certain way, how to speak a certain way, how to how to connect and have relationships a certain way. And there definitely is a learning curve when entering law school for students who may not have had a background in extensive writing courses or extensive reading courses, because that's what most of the first year classes are based on. So yes to that myth, uh, but uh, you definitely can overcome that learning curve by um, all of the orientation that you go through the first couple of weeks. And uh, you will, I don't think it's too much of a challenge once you get settled into your first semester. Sure. 
yeah, <laughs> me as an English major in undergrad is like, okay. You have nothing to worry about. Yeah. Actually, people, the friends that I, I became really good friends with someone in my section who was an English major and he was so successful his first year of law school. I'm trying not to disclose who he is and I will try to be general with the facts, but he finished his undergrad with a 4.0 in English and then his first year of law school made top 10% and got a very prestigious summer associate position with a large law firm this summer. So I'm very proud of him. But yeah, he did very well his first year as an English major. So the last expectation is that the name of your law school, specifically like a top 14 law mm. school, is the most important aspect of your legal education or in deciding where to go to law school. No, uh, that's a huge myth. I think that there is a very elitist misconception or this elitist mentality that if you go to a T14 law school, you're going to be handed everything that you want and that you desire. And that if you don't make T14, you're going to be unsuccessful and you won't be able to make as much money and you're not as reputable or prestigious as the top T14 schools. I think that's incorrect. I think, and I know. I need to stop saying, I think. Uh, we have gotten to the point where hopefully uh, students have realized that the reputation of the law school that you go to is not the most important factor you should consider. It's something you should keep on your list. It's definitely top three. But nowadays, the talk on the street is that the most important factor, at least tied with reputation and uh, GPA and cost, of course, is geographical location. The unfortunate reality is that before you go to law school, you have to have somewhat of an understanding of where you want to work immediately after you graduate from law school. You want to go to a law school where you can see yourself working in that market when you graduate. And you could spin it to where you go to a different state, you go to school there, but then go to a different state and work there. But there's so much logistics, there's, there's so many logistics that go into sitting for the bar in a different state, learning those laws, having to create a new alumni network and relationships with people in that new state you're going to. So reputation is definitely not the most important factor. It's definitely top three. Uh, but again, I think it's up to you to personally prioritize which ones are the most important to you. And for me, it was geographical location. I knew that I wanted to run for office in Dallas. I wanted to build that network. I wanted to build that political, political campaign foundation so that when I graduated, it would not be hard for me to build that community up um, in Dallas. Yeah, for sure. And I think I honestly took the same kind of uh, thought process in I am going to law school in Boston and I I want to at least start working in Boston for my career. So it, it only made sense. I, to give a little context, I'm from Southern New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. uh, so I could have gone to law school in New Hampshire, but I was like, why am I going to do that if I know that I want to work in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. specifically in Boston? And also I think that cost is a huge factor for a lot of people. And I was kind of approached with this mentality of especially from a professor that I had an undergrad that was like all that matters is where you go like why are you going to go to a lower ranked school and I was like because I'm not trying to go broke <laughs> at like 25 years old and he just like didn't understand that at all and I and it was really important to me I was like what's the point of going to a higher ranked law school when I'm going to come out swimming in debt 
Right. And I don't think the older generation has wrapped their minds around this idea of inflation, where when we went to law school, it was like 20 grand a year. And now ours is an upwards of $85,000 on top of taking loans out to finance living expenses, to finance textbooks. And um, yeah, tuition was also my top three as well. Uh, if not tied with geographical location, I was not willing to you know, go to different states, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a degree where I can get it anywhere else for cheaper and do the same thing and be dressed as successful. Your success does not depend on your degree. Maybe it did before, maybe back in the day in like the 1900s, going to Harvard and Yale was the the cream of the crop, right? Everyone strived to go. But nowadays, people are talking about how college isn't even necessary for some people, right? The, the game the system is set up now that it's so unattainable for some communities. It's so, so frustrating how expensive it's become. And there's so many arguments about, well, our generation, we're asking for handouts. And it's we're not asking for handouts. We're asking for a freaking discount. Please. <laughs> that well we probably won't get to completely free college in our generation but i'm hoping we get to some point where i think ut implemented a program where students from families with below a hundred thousand dollars a year will have free tuition and i think that is a step in the right direction it's for for professional grad schools like medical school and legal the law schools those two industries need so much more access to them because there are again like i mentioned earlier gatekeeping mechanisms to keep certain people out and the price continues to be one of those gatekeeping mechanisms yeah those were all the expectations i had but i did want to ask you if you had kind of an expectation of your first year of law school that now going into your second year, you're like, I can't believe I thought that or something that you had heard and you're like, that was spot on true. I was under the impression that I needed to know exactly the type of law I wanted to practice going into law school because some of the people I spoke with entering during orientation week knew exactly what type of law they wanted to do, right? I met an accountant who knew he wanted to go into tax law. I met someone who was going to go into the JAG program, which is um, the law branch, the law branch for the military. And I was sitting there looking around thinking to myself, I don't know what type of law I want to practice. I just know that I narrowed it down to maybe five or six. And luckily, as I went through the first semester, I found out 99% of law students have no idea what kind of law they want to specialize in. And we also learned from professors and advisors that at the end of your law school career, when you graduate and you enter the legal market, even then, some of us don't know exactly what type of law we want to practice. We bounce back and forth, and you don't actually specialize in a law until five to six or seven years later, and then you sit for another certification in that type of law. So you have time, and your second and third years are meant for you to shop around for those um, types of law you're interested in practicing. That was the first thing that I was surprised by. And then another one was, I, of course, you know, watched too much Forensics Files, too much Judge Judy, and I thought I was going to see my first year during law school, these crazy courtroom battles. I thought I would be able to get up there and argue like a, like a beast, like an attorney beast. 
Um, but at least at my school, the first year students weren't allowed to do any sort of court competitions like mock or moot. But at the end of the school year, I finally, finally got a taste of courtroom action during the closing argument tournament where first year students were allowed to compete. And I ended up winning, which was a lot of fun. Um, I wrote my closing argument actually three hours before competition and I memorized it in the car as I was driving to campus. But that was another misconception that I had was that I thought we were going to be in court all the time. I thought we were going to see attorneys in action, shadow them and whatnot. But your first year will be spent all in class during lecture. There will be opportunities, at least for my criminal law class, where a part of our requirement was to go sit in on a criminal trial at the courthouse. And that was a lot of fun, too. That definitely satisfied some of my hunger for that courtroom action. For sure. And I think that's a, a really common misconception is that lawyers are always just stomping into court and arguing when so much happens behind the scenes. Yeah, yelling at everyone. It's definitely not the case. Yeah. Um, all right. So that kind of concludes the main segment. But we do have a fun game that we play with all of our guests. So we play a game of this or that. So listeners know the drill. You have not seen these. So you can give a nice authentic uh, response. <laughs> the first one is contracts or civil procedure? Um, that, because I'm a professor. I love my professor. No, 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 this, this. I don't know. Actually, I'll go with my first answer that civil procedure. Civil procedure? Okay. I'm very interested to see which one I'll like better. I liked the contracts content better, but I liked my civ pro professor as a human being. So, <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So then, pantsuit or dress? Well, oh, this, of course, pantsuit. Let's go. Oh, I, I am a sucker for power pantsuits. I wore a pantsuit for evening wear at Miss Texas instead of an evening gown, and I will never go back. <laughs> oh, that's so badass to just roll in a pantsuit. I, I shook some people. So. People were maybe 60% super appreciative, supportive. They were like, oh, cool. She's really challenging the notion of what to wear during evening wear. Good for her. And the other 40% were like, what is she doing? <laughs> Which is fine. It's okay. Whatever. Screw the 40%. A pantsuit is a power move. Exactly. I could squat in it. I needed the mobility. That's why. Yeah. I wore it. Oh, yeah. So then study in a group or study alone? That. Yeah. I. Yeah. I would prefer to study and do all of my reading assignments first by myself and then go into study group to discuss the material. Yeah, and almost use it as like a, a checkpoint of, okay, is my information matching up with your information? For sure. So then kind of going off of that, study in the morning or study at night? I'm a morning person, this. And I know that sounds crazy because some people are like, they're night owls. But I feel more productive in the morning. So it's really up to you to gauge... Yeah what when your body feels the best mine's in the morning sure mine too <laughs> okay cool so then relaxing night in or fun night out oh no i'm an introvert to so this <laughs> me too oh yeah i can find ways to get lit at home for sure <laughs> That's such a great way to put it. I feel like some of the best nights, especially from college, like some of my best memories are just me and my friends like just in our room. Yes. With Netflix, you know, something yeah. on some pizza. It was a sleepover. We stayed up till four in the morning. We would just fall asleep on the floor after studying. That's that's where it's at. Those are some great yeah. Nights. 
we would always joke and say that we were more excited for like the pregame because it was just like us hanging out in the room. The same person. Wow. I agree. (laughs) But yeah, so that is everything that we have. Thank you so, so much for being on the show. I think this was such a productive conversation and it taught me so much and helps me feel so prepared for this new chapter. So I hope that we can do that for whoever's listening and is considering law school or is starting law school at the same time as me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much. Yes, thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. And good luck to those of you who are listening. So we will see you guys next Tuesday. Anya will be back with me next Tuesday for our next episode. Make sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts because um, it really helps us out and check out our Instagram at two degrees hotter. Where can they check you out, Avery? You can check me at Avery, A-V-E-R-I-E Bishop on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. Awesome. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.